1: Hello and welcome to our 2018 Formula One season review. I'm Joe Dunn, editor of Motorsport Magazine, and I'm joined today by a podium of talent. In our office we have Simon Aaron and Rob Ladbrook. Hello both. Good afternoon. Hello everyone. And joining us remotely via the magic of Skype is Mark Hughes, our Grand Prix editor. Hello Mark. Hello. Hello. Today we're going to be looking back on the 2018 season and trying to answer some of the key questions about what happened and why. Uh, We'll be helped by dozens of questions from our readers who have sent them in via our website but I think I'd like to uh, to start by asking everyone to cast their minds back to March in Melbourne uh, and the start of the season. Um, It it seemed to promise so much. I I know we know how it ended, but but can you remember those those early early few races when there seemed to be so much excitement and anticipation uh, about the season ahead? And and really, what do we think? Did the the season deliver on that? Simon?
2: Um, I think we have to bear in mind that Melbourne was It started promisingly from a championship perspective because a Ferrari won and we kind of got used to Mercedes uh, dominating all and sundry. But that was brought about because of um, Mercedes' team of 5,000 strategists uh, plugged the wrong number in somewhere and um, opened the door for Ferrari. But even so, during the first part of the season, I felt very much that it was a proper two-way fight two mm. top teams two fantastic cars two brilliant drivers and then it kind of fizzled away from sort of august onwards
1: Yeah, it, it became a bit more a bit more, more more of the same um but mark you you were talking earlier about about the reasons for that um and what what was your kind of overall how would you
3: sort of sum up the season if you like um if you divide, if it's 21 races. If you divide the season into um, three parts of seven races each, uh, at the two thirds point, which is, um, I think, um, Monza, by my reckoning, the Ferrari had been the faster car 10 times from 14 races. Um, now, it, there were some errors that meant that didn't translate. Um, but that car was comfortably fast enough to have contended or even won the title. Um, it just wasn't being operated very well from a team perspective. And um, from a driver perspective, Vettel just made too many errors. And it really is as simple as that because in terms of performance, even though Mercedes dominated the last third of the season, in terms of performance over the season, and I we, we tend to have a present sort of skewed picture of competitiveness because... You know, the last seven races we saw, the Mercedes was, a, in general, the dominant car. So we tend to remember that more than the, the 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 earlier part of the season when it wasn't. Um, but it was easily a competitive enough car to have won the title, uh, certainly contended for it. And it was the, the, all the more disappointing, therefore, that the, the Ferrari campaign just collapsed. It just it really did, even more so than in 2017, when it did quite a... a Parallel story in a way, but amplified.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're gonna we'll we'll come we'll come to Ferrari's implosion um, a bit later on. And there's there's so much to say about it. Um, uh, Mark, I mean, you sort of, you, you've you've travelled the world really, reporting on, on all of these races for uh, for our magazine and, and for the website. Um, wh- wh- what was your sort of standout feature of, of the season? I mean, was there a single moment or, or, or sort of feeling that, that you sort of think will come to define the, the, the 2018 season?
3: I think the defining moment, probably the, the the thing that everybody's probably going to look back and remember it for, is just that moment at Hockenheim when Seb's nose the car into the barrier and is banging the steering wheel in frustration, having just crashed out of the lead of, of the race. And in many ways, that was the the the, 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 the fulcrum of the whole season. You know, the, the, it's really when the when it just switched. It's a massive point swing, and I, but it's also a, a huge psychological blow as well. And I don't think it's one they really ever fully recovered from. And I think that's probably the the defining moment. If you have to think of a single image that it, it sort of tells the the story of the season, it would be that for me.
1: You're, Rob, you're you're sort of shaking your head and smiling at that. <laughs> what do you? Uh, what, I mean, in sympathy, I think with Seb. Uh, I don't know. I mean, do you remember that that? that hockenheim you know disaster really for ferrari P- pretty
4: much i reckon i agree with mark that that was probably the moment that the title was lost um, i think that just created that that division that was almost soul destroying to to the mentality of of ferrari being able to take this fight to lewis when their their talismanic german had, had gone off in such a not a bizarre but such a strange kind of way, it was very un it's not something we've seen from Sebastian very often. Um, Except in 2018 <laughs> Except in 2018, yes, thank, <laughs> thank you
2: <Simon>. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think it was also a multifaceted moment because A, Vettel leading his home race in a Ferrari and under no real pressure other than the challenge of the weather, slid off B, that opened the door for Lewis who'd started, was it 13th, 14th? But he started yeah. back in midfield after problems in qualifying and it was a you know, fantastic drive by him. So, Mercedes got a huge shot of impetus from that, and at the same time, of course, Ferrari, yeah, you know, had, had quite the
4: opposite. It's so. It was. It's quite telling as well that that whole conspired from a weekend that initially looked terrible for mercedes and terrible for lewis after the problems in qualifying starting down the grid um on the alternate tyre strategy and of course when it started to rain he was on the softer grippier tyres um and and suddenly everything conspired and what should have been a ferrari cakewalk ultimately just swung the silver arrows way again
3: Yeah, the weather played a a good part in that. There's a sort of three-race sequence. It it rescued that race for Hamilton from mid-grid, as you say. Um, It rained in qualifying in Hungary, where in the dry the Ferrari was easily going to get pole, and all of a sudden it mixed everything up and gave Hamilton another opportunity, which he took um, to set pole. And, um, yeah, again in Spa, He, he set pole on that occasion and didn't win him the race. Um, yeah, he, he had a little bit of a following wind with luck um, or um, or some higher power because he was standing there as though he ordered the rain on, on the podium in Hockenheim. <laughs> so maybe there was some, some of that, an element of that. Um, yeah. But it, <laughs> other than that, um, it, it, it was, they won the, the, the title through uh, being better, being a better team and Hamilton performing to a higher level. And those two things, are interrelated and I don't think you can underestimate that. Because when you're a, 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 at the peak of performance and, and looking to get into that state of mind that they, all the top competitors need to get into to do their best stuff, you're going to much you're going to have much easier access to that if everything around you is working as it should be. Compared to the guy that's worrying, what are they going to do wrong next? What's going to happen here? Am, am, I being, am I being shafted here? What's going on here? Why have they not got that right? Why are they putting Kimi out to, uh, in, the, in the wrong place? Why are they putting me out beside behind a Mercedes that needs a different type? If you're thinking of all those things, you, your head is just not going to be in as good a place. Uh, and I think that shouldn't be underestimated. And that's where the, the team performance and the driver performance are very hard to decouple.
2: I also thought it extraordinary that, on a day when they most needed Kimi Raikkonen's cooperation, Ferrari mm. informed him on race morning at Monza that, oh, by the way, we're not—he won't be racing for us next year. It's, yeah, I don't think Mercedes would hard. have done that, would they?
3: No, they'd waited until Monday. It, it, no, they just absolutely wouldn't. Um, and a. a what on earth are they getting the number two driver to um, get be the beneficiary of the tow at Monza for rather than the guy who's chasing the title? And B, once you've got yourself in that awkward mess, why do you tell the driver who you need to help you? Um, then put him into a situation where he was more or less forced to drive for himself rather than the team. So yeah, just, just poor leadership, poor management, brilliant technically um, probably the best team technically out there at the moment and that's saying something when you got competitors like Red Bull and Mercedes but operationally just awful this year
1: um, I suppose you mentioned we've mentioned um, Lewis now it's an opportune moment to, to ask the obvious question about ha- how good how good he is um, I mean mark I thought your interview with um, Toto wolf was quite illuminating where he said that his relationship with Lewis had um, had sort of strengthened and deepened as, as as time had gone on, and, and how mm. you know they'd had their problems in the early days, but now it was mm. stronger than ever. And I suppose you could say, well, he would say that, wouldn't he? But 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 it seems to be borne out by the facts. I mean, do you think a a how good is is Lewis, a, and b how good is he with Toto and with Mercedes? How how strong is that partnership?
3: Yeah, I mean, he's in terms of his raw speed, he hasn't found more raw speed that. That's always been extraordinarily high, you know, since he first came in 11 years ago. Um, but he joins those peaks up much more consistently now. And this season's been his best, I think, because he's achieved a, a more consistently high level. Um, it's probably you could only point to a couple of races where the weekend sort of got away from him. And that's probably... Uh, a, a trait where, if you look through his career, he's always had those weekends where they just he's not quite nailed to set up the car. He's gone off in the wrong direction a little bit, and then not got it back quite enough in time for qualifying or the race. He did that maybe in um, uh, China this year, maybe in Canada. Um, that that was it really, and so that's that's where he's becomes stronger he's, he's, he's lined those things up he's he's um, he's working his team um, more deeply he's uh, he's got a little core of people engineering people around him that he's pumping for more you know more insight more information all the time and this is just sort of going into a sort of virtuous circle and adding to his own performance and that that environment where he feels, Supported and not undermined, and no longer paranoid. Either you know, pretty much devoid of the paranoia that was. that's always part of any top driver in a in a pressure situation, but it, it's it's largely been dispersed over the years as he's come to trust everyone around him. And I think also the replacement of Nico Rosberg with Valtteri Bottas has had a played a big part in that environment um i don't think there's very much difference if any in in basic speed of Rosberg and Bottas but Rosberg was much more combative with Hamilton and would deliberately use psychological warfare as as part of his his, his armory um and Valtteri is just not wired up in that way and and it's made for a much more serene environment so it's hasn't really helped Valtteri's career at Mercedes um but it's it it's enabled hamilton to get to a more consistently high level than he was achieving when Rosberg was there and i think it's partly that the team partly lewis maturing partly that relationship maturing and partly um a less combustible environment
2: yeah but i i thought he looked more complete in 2018 than mm. at, at any time in his, yeah. in, maybe even in his racing career. I mean, I watched him in his junior, in the junior categories too. I mean, yeah. as you say, the, the the raw speed has always, 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 always been there. But I mean, he's always had peaks and troughs in his previous Formula One seasons. And not so mm. many troughs, but they've always been there. And I just thought yeah. he'd look, in 2018, he looked, uh, he looked dynamite from start to finish, pretty much.
4: He yeah. did look in- incredibly composed for the vast majority of the season. I mean, before, especially when we had the Rosberg thing, um, a lot of people while Lewis is a very mentally strong driver, he, he would tend to either overcompensate or get frustrated on the radio or and we, we kind of saw or heard hardly anything um, of that this year we had a very so even when things went wrong in qualifying there was no blaming there was no social media kind of outbursts it, it was very just controlled it was like okay lads let's get on with this and hold this back and he did it time and time again it was just a very controlled performance from start to finish made it mm-hmm. look so easy and natural.
1: It's funny um, uh, that that you say that that the paranoia had gone, Mark. I mean, he he did seem to... To my eyes, um, has he's almost detached himself from the circus that's going around it, and it's almost like he's this very still, calm in the middle of a storm. If you want to put it like that, he doesn't seem affected by anything that's been going on, whether that's in the media or in the paddock. Uh, I just wonder what 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 what's his? Wh- how do you find him in the paddock and and on on race weekends when when you kind of your paths cross and you come a, you crop across him in press conferences and such such like?
3: He's um, y- you're right. He's he's quite a new serenity this year, is um, obviously the number one focus of attention in in, in that paddock, uh, in, in a paddock that's full of high-profile people. Um, wow. So his usual manner is headphones on, head down, avoid eye contact, just you know keep walking to where you've got to be. But in the downtime, after all the commitments are finished, and you're just there with them, if you're doing an interview with them, and you, you you know, you you have a an understanding. um, He's he's very very chilled, very articulate, uh, very thoughtful. um, Not at all like uh, the 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 image might suggest. The the you know the. The showman, the showman side yeah. of his persona might suggest.
1: fascinating, and a, and a fascinating character, and 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 you know five world championships. I mean, a, a great, great driver. Um, Let's 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 dive into some reader questions because um, we've had we've had dozens of them. They've all been submitted via uh, via our website, um, and I th- I think the, probably the easiest way of doing it is is, is almost kind of splitting them off into um, into in, under sort of team headings. So if we if we start with Ferrari, and I'll start with a question from uh, uh, Pratik uh, Palul. Um, uh, I'm going to fall victim of a of a, of a Simpsons spoof name here aren't i, I can tell um <laughs> uh, and he says uh can you enlighten us uh to exactly what happened uh at ferrari post Marchioni? We, we've had a couple of questions um talking about sergio Marchioni and his untimely death and 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 how that affected the team and mark mm. i know you were very close to the story um w- 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 maybe w- well start off with with, with that question and re- really w- what happened and, and how much of a shock was it when it happened
3: well, it was a, a total shock. Um, you know, it, it, subsequent we find out he'd he'd been ill for a couple of years, but had kept it from even even these uh, closest colleagues. Um, so, it was um, a shock. Uh, th- there's no question of that. Um, but he, um, I think, uh, had the expectation of living several years, you know, further to come, and he was uh, seemed to have planned. Uh, for that to be the case um, Ferrari as I touched on earlier on I thought was operationally very weak but technically very strong and I think he'd identified that same thing um, and his uh, plan was to um, uh, so we are led to understand was to uh, relieve um, Marisa, uh, Arriva Bene of the team principal role and promote Mattia Bonato. That was the plan for 2019. But then, of course, uh, Marchioni died um, so without that having gone through. So that left those two particular people in a very awkward position. And it's one that they're, they're still in. Um, and I think until that's really – that is – clarified, I, I find it difficult to envisage how the team is going to move forward and, and, and progress. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it on a day-to-day basis, it wouldn't have changed a great deal. The, the team was already operationally shaky and it continued to be. Um, glaring errors like the, those that were made at Monza probably wouldn't have happened, but it, 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 it's, it still wasn't an operationally Great team, Um, so I don't think much changed on a day-to-day level, but um, it's left the team in a in a sort of state of limbo as to what it what it does next.
1: Do you think sort of? um, uh, I mean, obviously it would shake any team, but do do you think uh, an event like that had affected Ferrari more acutely than than other teams, given its 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 makeup?
3: Perhaps I mean. Stefano Domenicali, the the old um, team manager, there was uh, a, a, a terrific guy, and he he always used to say that it was his impression that the team felt blows um, m- m- more acutely than uh, say more more Anglo-Saxon teams. Um, yeah, it's 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 possible, but um, I think also when you get when you get it going in the upwards direction, it rises up so fast, and um, I think we've seen that as well. You know, with the the transformation from 16 to 17 was was um, amazing to behold. Um, so I think yes, it works both ways. It's like a sort of um, uh, a car, an engine with um, not much flywheel effect compared to one with a heavy flywheel. Okay.
1: Um- it's a, a, a slightly a mischievous question here from from Gav, uh, nineteen eighty nine, uh, who asks: uh, When Daniel Ricciardo beat Vettel in two thousand and fourteen, he was able to run to Ferrari. If Charles Leclerc beats Sebastian Vettel next year, and there are no realistic seats available at Mercedes or Red Bull. Um, uh, what uh, is Vettel going to do? Which team is he going to run to for 2020? Um, there seems to be quite a few assumptions there, but I suppose the underlying. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, well, if is- you go with <laughs> all the <of> Gav's assumptions, <laughs> which I'm not sure I, I, I would, but if you went, I don't. I think if if that turned out to be the, the situation, I don't think he would um, yeah, go and drive for any any anyone other than the top three teams. So yeah, he would just. Uh, Go and do something else with his life would be my guess. Um, I don't think it's a given that he will have uh, a weak season next year. I think uh, he's got a lot on his plate, a lot to sort out. Um, But it's not a given. He's an extraordinary driver. He's an extraordinary competitor. Um, And if he has a strong season and uh, has the, the appetite for it again, then yeah, you can, what what happens at, at Red Bull in the future, for example? Um, could we see him back at Red Bull? It's not it's not impossible.
1: Mm-hmm. Is there? There's a secondary point I could as well. Where you, did, um, is there any truth to the rumour that um, Sebastian vetoed Riccardo, um, as, as some people had speculated? Have you got any inside knowledge on that, Mark?
3: Not as I understand it. This time around, the, the contract that he entered into start of last year. Um, was not as um, loaded in his favour, I believe, as the previous one. Um, Uh So although the previous one may have uh, given him veto, I don't think this one did, no. Um,
1: uh, Simon, maybe if I could just bring you in. I know we talked about the German Grand Prix here, but um, uh, another reader's written in, um, Stephen Stephen Prater. um, uh, uh, Was the season lost as a result of that accident?
2: Um, well i think we have touched upon that previously but it was i think psychological it was a psychological turning point i mean clearly mathematically it wasn't lost um there were, you know, there, well seb was still leading after Hockenheim, wasn't he but the, um but it was a, there was a, there was a huge mathematical shift and it's a
3: 32 point yeah, swing
2: yes yeah, a big big point swing as mark says and um i think it was psychological more than more than anything else and i think we saw the effects of that Not in every race that followed, because obviously he won in Belgium. But in several of the races that followed, you know, driving errors by Seb or tactical errors by the team, it was almost like they were all trying too hard to to atone for some of the things they they'd just done, and it just snowballed.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a really that's crucial, isn't it, at that point that that actually, if you make mistakes, then it, it's not making it, it's trying to make up for that mistake that causes future mistakes. If that if that makes sense, yes, absolutely. Uh, and you cannot try to overcompensate, don't you? Which, which seemed to be something that afflicted Ferrari uh, uh, after after Germany.
2: I've got a question, actually. Um, I'm just wondering if all of the um, all of the people who thought Lewis was stupid to leave McLaren at the end of 2012 still think the same thing. <laughs> what do you reckon?
1: We should, we should have a poll on our website. Mark, what do you think he thinks? <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's easy to be right in hindsight, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Was it was it a a, a, um, a brilliant decision or was it a lucky decision? That would probably be a better question.
2: It would, yes. We
4: we'll lost Daniel Ricardo in 4 years.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't see it as I don't see Daniel's move as the equivalent of that one.
1: Um, <laughs> um well speak, speaking of hamilton and, and moving on to to, to mercedes um uh, valentin radukan um has asked us um uh, is hamilton uh is he now in the top 10 all time greatest formula 1 drivers now uh, from playing from from 46 to 2018 um uh, this is a question obviously that people can argue about at their leisure um uh, down down the pub tonight but uh, i mean for the record wh- where where do we put him um, um rob wh- where do you t- put lewis now um
4: this one's not a loaded question <laughs> at all is it um <laughs> we uh, we always hear about this I, end of the day it's i believe it's impossible to to gauge a a Formula One driver from the 50s and 60s against someone in the... T- it's a different sport now. It's a different formula now. Yeah. Um, statistically, absolutely, Lewis is up there. Um, he, he did he did things that were almost superhuman uh, a, a p- around this this season. I mean, his qualifying lap at Singapore just being kind of one of the ones. I mean, if you'd stuck a shaky camera on that, it could have been centre at Monaco. It just in the evening <laughs> but um, I definitely yeah, I definitely yeah. put him up there um, but once again it's it's a loaded comparison uh, yeah, I mean
2: I, I, I wouldn't put a number on it I just I mean, he is one of the all-time greats that's beyond question if I was starting my own Grand Prix team tomorrow and I could pick any two drivers from 1894 to the present day uh, Tazio Nuvolari would be the first pick and the second I'd have to have a long hard thing but Lewis would be Lewis would be on the list of possibles
1: mm. That'd be quite formidable, wasn't it, Valari and Hamilton? Yeah, uh, uh, Mark. I'm afraid I'm going to have to put the same question to you.
3: <laughs> well, Simon's answer is ridiculous. He, his, his lead driver would be like 110 years old.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's the downside. I think yeah, I still yeah. think he'd be quick mind. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, yeah, he's, yeah. I would say he's probably in the top ten there. if you go going Formula One. Definitely, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. Um, You'd, you'd, you'd struggle to find, you know, nine, ten, ten names to, to push him out of that top ten, wouldn't you? Um, so, yes, I'd say he's definitely in the top ten as, as to what position. Well, you can, you can just argue about that in your own heads, really. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I, think, I think I really just probably, probably will. Um, uh, Patrick Down asks uh, whether we think that Hamilton would have won the title if he had been at Ferrari this year. Yes. Even given Ferrari, as we've just spoken about Ferrari's internal problems, you think Hamilton would have been strong yeah. enough? I don't think he would
3: have performed. I don't think he would have performed as impressively as he did. But I don't think he would have given a hundred points away in the way that Vettel did.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: I think I agree with that. I, hundred percent. I, I, the difference this year, I think, has been because Mercedes has made some errors as well. Granted, Ferrari's made some bigger ones, but the the different factor this year was lewis's human performance. Uh, mm. he was just stellar. Yeah. yeah.
2: did 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 lewis get involved in any first lap skirmishes this year? i'm struggling to think of any. Whereas seb seemed to do it every other weekend in the second half of the year? no, no I, I don't I
1: think he did. can't think of mm. one. yeah. um yeah, i mean I, well i th- I, think, I think i think you probably hit the nail on the head actually rob. i mean i i, I think that um even, even perhaps you could argue, I suppose that, that that the internal problems wouldn't have been so pronounced had Lewis been the lead driver. In other words, had he sort of uh, cast his calmness and his leadership and his strength of character, and had that infused the rest of the team around him, then those problems wouldn't have surfaced in the first place. Um, leaving aside his 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 driving ability. Um, um, let's move on to some, some more questions we'll go down to Red Bull now um, and uh, 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 Va- uh, Valent- Valentin Raducan. Um Ferrari has a small advantage over Mercedes in terms of ultimate power output um, but how far behind was Honda uh, in its latest spec um, Mark maybe I could throw that one to you
3: uh, yeah, they were reckon on on peak power. It's it's very misleading peak power with the, these hybrid engines because it's a it's more to do with how long the 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 best part of the, what the what the the torque curve and how well they deploy the elect electrical energy and for how long and stuff like. That. But on just as a, uh, a sort of rule of thumb measure honda were believed to be about 50 horsepower down on ferrari by the at the end of the year which was um the 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 closed up from the beginning of the year um and were believed to have edged ahead of renault by the end of the year Mm -hmm.
1: um Uh, Tony Chan here, a question from Tony Chan. Uh, One question on the young driver development programmes. Uh, In 2014, uh, Max Verstappen was approached by both Red Bull as well as Mercedes. Do you believe Max would have been closer to the World Championship than he is now uh, had he chosen uh, Mercedes? Um, Again, Mark, what do you think? Uh, It's it's speculative, I know, but um, what do you think?
3: Uh well, he would have had to have um, been slugging it out with uh, Lewis, uh, yeah. so I
1: suppose more pertinent question y- would be whether Lewis would have won if Max had been. Uh, yeah, that, 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 yeah
3: I guess yeah, you know they would have um, it would have been a fascinating contest to see. Um, but yeah, you know, I think it's I'd, pref- I'd prefer to see them in different teams. I'd prefer to see them go- going at it from different teams, and it would be fantastic if Honda made enough. Pro- Progress that uh, Red Bull could fight for wins uh, n- next year on merit, uh, and then w- then we would see some classic Hamilton Verstappen dices, I'm sure.
1: Yes, um, and th- again there was a question here from uh, Samir um, talking about the the disparity between the two Red Bulls towards the end of the season, and, and asking whether whether that was that was down to luck, or whether that late late season reliability was was, was down to something else.
3: Oh, I don't think you can um, read anything suspicious in it. It's just look, at it's just waves of luck. I mean, there was a period I think last year where Verstappen couldn't, you know, couldn't get the thing to finish, um, no matter what he did. Uh, it just, it just turns. Just you know, when you when you have a um, a car that's fundamentally unreliable, which it was, um, these things can just sort of bite you at random, and and it's not that unusual for. For the randomness to fall one way, for it's just like tossing a coin. If you throw, it's you, you know, if you if you throw five heads in a row, it's not it's not extraordinary, is it? It's just you know, it'll balance out. And I think that's all all you were saying. I don't think there's anything um, you know, suspicious about it particularly.
4: I always struggle to comprehend these conspiracy theories when a driver starts to have a, a little bit of a bad run and people say oh well you know max's car's running fine and daniel's isn't i mean what sense would it mm. make for a team to sabotage its own driver in a time when championship points are worth so much and there's millions of pounds on on the table and not only that there's three or four hundred staff that are working flat out back at the yeah. thing to see a car stop mm-hmm. due to nefarious means i mean it's it, i can never buy in too much to them
1: Well, uh, I think no one ever said that conspiracy theories had a, had a reason. <laughs> I think <that> by <laughs> they fun, they're by definition. They are fun. They are fun. Moving on. Oh, there's a fascinating question here from Jacob. Um, who asks about Haas and uh, uh, essentially asking uh, asking how good they are for? I mean, bang for buck. Uh, Mark, we we did a story about about Haas and um, hmm. uh, I mean, what do you think? Are they how well have they performed? Will they be happy with their performance this year?
3: I think they're going to be happy because they've made great progress. And they were, you know, if we look at the field, which it's, it's sad that we have to do it, but if we look at the field in terms of Class A, which is the top three teams, and in Class B. Uh, they've probably had, on balance, the fastest car in Class B, although they didn't quite win that mini-championship. They, they were in contention for it. Yeah. Um, so, the, yeah, they've done well. They've not probably converted the speed of their car to points as effectively as, say, as, uh, Renault have, have done. But, um, yeah, they're a much smaller team, so they, you know, it's a completely different model. To every other team, you know, it benefits from the resource of a much bigger team, Ferrari, um, and it's, you know, you can see why that model is getting other independent teams so stirred up because it's uh, it's 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 outperforming many of them, um, and you can see how it's doing. You can you can understand how it would do that, given given uh, the resources that go Into that car, they've they, they been created, they, those resources have been put in place for something else entirely, but they, they are still unleashed upon that car. And that's, um, you know, it's, a, it's been a brilliant car and it's been well run. And it's, um, yeah, I think it only won three times the the, the class between Magnuson and Grosjean. Uh, I think they only won three times, which is probably a uh, just a reflection of the, the, the size of the team and they, they, they got themselves into a few difficulties with um, things that were a function of not having enough people um, but yeah they're, 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 they're um, a very uh, interesting addition to the grid but you can absolutely see why the likes of Williams and McLaren are, um, are you know getting quite aerated about it and d- does the model need to be changed
4: I do wonder if that sets a good president or a dangerous president for the mm-hmm. kind of future because if you can go off and essentially buy a B-spec Ferrari or in this case an H-spec Ferrari mm. if you like um, and come straight in be one of the well the youngest team on the grid Um and be fighting with, with the big names that are still struggling to do it themselves. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Surely it's it's a good thing on one way that you can it's shown you can come into Formula One and be competitive if you've got the right people around you. But surely it doesn't do a huge amount to the kind of, you know, the heritage of the Garage Easter's days that we all like to romanticize about.
2: But back in those days, the heritage days of the Garage Easters, you could go anyone could go and buy a march, a Cosworth engine, a Hewland F G two hundred gearbox and you know, with a few quid, relatively speaking, run a run a Formula One operation, and you saw. I mean, people when I know Hesketh built their own car, but it, people like that coming in, and at the time, I know, I know you're too young to have, have been there. Mark and I aren't, but it it did add certainly to me that those days when it was more accessible and people could do things. I I understand the the mentality of the likes of Williams and McLaren in the current era, but I I really liked it when a team could buy second hand kit and run a Brabham or a Tyrrell or something and do a decent job
3: yeah but when you were running you know a couple of 100,000 a budget of couple of 100,000 rather oh, yeah, than a couple absolutely. hundred million and um so the you know the gap between an entity like Ferrari and a, and a privateer was wasn't anything yeah. like as big as it is now um so it's yeah it it, it was a it was a nice period of time, but I think um, something does need to be tweaked a little bit in what constitutes uh, a constructor.
1: Um, speaking of, of Williams, we've got a, a punchy question from Anthony Jenkins here, saying or asking: Can the dire state of Team Williams be attributed to Claire Williams's leadership? If not, where does the buck stop? Um, I think that's slightly unfair, but but Mark, maybe you could, what's up yeah, I mean, with Williams and where do they go from here?
3: It's in a bit of turmoil at the moment, um, but I don't think there's any, it would take anything radical to return it to respectability, and um, yeah, Claire, given that she she inherited that role when she was very inexperienced, I'm sure that's played a part in, in that. Um, she's had a strong commercial guide in hand from Michael Driscoll, um, but technically it needs to be much stronger and this uh, technical management team that's there now is already probably in the last trans saloon, and I think probably Claire understands all this um, but it's you know it's it's a it's a hard it's a steep learning curve
2: you you mentioned Class A and Class B before were Williams and McLaren in class C. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, well, you, you have it's to reclassify it. I don't know. The premiership in if McLaren and uh, oh, sorry, if Mercedes and Ferrari are premiership, um, I don't know what division that puts Williams in. Do they, do they like with with Scunthorpe or I, I
1: don't know? <laughs> um, one thing with Williams, I mean, there's the the, the point has been made that that they're not they're 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 too big to take the advantages of teams like Haas that you're talking about but too small to be able to compete with Mm. um, obviously the the Premier League uh, teams. uh, 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 They're caught in a bit of a no-man's land, aren't they?
3: They are and this is is a big challenge for uh, the framing of the 2021 regulations that um, Liberty and the FIA have to address whether you can Make it more even, where you can make it realistic for an independent team to be able to get somewhere close, or occasionally challenge uh, these teams for race wins and podiums. Uh, it's it's not at the moment. Um, so yeah, I mean Williams is caught between two stools, uh, but it's all all the teams are to a. a all the, the independent teams are, to a greater or lesser extent, it's it's how much, how much do you surrender and become a, a client team to a, a major manufacturer, and how much do you fight to retain your core independence? And Williams is on the independent, very much on the core independent side, um, at the moment. And Haas is the other extreme, and somewhere in between is probably Force India. Mm-hmm. Or whatever it's going to be called now. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that was a story, wasn't it? Um, I mean, what a what a, what a rescue as well.
3: D- <laughs> yeah, complicated though, um, and it's still not the story's probably still not finished yet in terms of the repercussions and you know who gets what money and it's it, it, it's it's ongoing <laughs> that one. Um, but yeah, fantastic. Uh, it was basically too good a team to. To go down, it's finished fourth on the constructors two years and two years, the previous two years running. Um, it always always delivers a very very uh, impressive performance for you know, a team of you know, quarter of the size of the 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 big the biggest ones. Um, it was too good to be let go. It it had too much uh, previous success. So uh, yeah, it was fantastic that it was rescued. But it's um, it's it's got a Bit messy, and it, it it's not uh, untangled yet.
1: And, and do do you think it was the, the right decision to allow the, the the newly named team to continue with the same with well with the points and that the, 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 the its previous incarnation had accrued?
3: Uh, I don't and think there's a right and wrong. I think it, it just got so tangled up in Formula One's own um, intricate rules and regulations. And there's always a situation that somebody's never thought of. Um, where a solution is made more difficult than it ought to be. Um, I don't think there's particularly a right and wrong, but you can absolutely understand how saying, "Well, hang on. If this is a if this is a new team, how come it gets um, money straight away, and we have to wait until you know we've completed three years?" Um, it's a valid question. Um, so yeah, but it, it it's just a function of the you know, reams and reams of regulations that from the ones ended up
1: uh, for, for having. The- formula one bit getting tangled up in its own rules and regulations
3: yes uh, I, 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 know, I know it's quite it's a shocking a theory a, isn't it it's um, a shocking um, but, uh, just yeah of. just just uh, just let it sink in
1: <laughs> <laughs> right um deep breath uh, mclaren um yep. what wh- what went what went wrong um Who's to blame? Where can it go from there? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of big McLaren facts, certainly in our office. Um, I mean, what's your take on it, Mark?
3: It was um, it's a combination of combination of errors, a uh, combination of uh, not recognising uh, problems and hiding behind uh, the assumption that the shortfall in the past had been down to the engine um actually the, what was happening was the, the the whole game was moving on particularly in the aerodynamic simulation and although the the team may have been operating at, at a, a similar standard to what it had been when it was successful the the, the rest of the field was moving on certainly at the, the, the at the front um but specifically there was a of um, clashing personalities on the, the technical side um, which I think wasn't recognised quickly enough and I think probably arose as a consequence of the lack of consistent leadership over the years because Ron, got, Ron Dennis got involved in you know boardroom fights and lost his focus on the, the, the stuff that makes the, the, the team be able to produce a fast car. Um, and then a change of ownership and more boardroom shuffling, and so it's been a very disruptive place over the years. And I think this finally came home to roost with this car. So they get engine parity with Red Bull, and they went into that season, you know, thinking great we we can show that we're as good as Red Bull. And of course, they were nowhere near Red Bull. They were began the season a second off Red Bull and ended up probably two seconds off Red Bull. And in as they. St- retained the same level of performance. Everybody else went forward and they just sunk it down to the back. Um aerodynamically it was uh, it was flawed. It, they, they, they tried to enhance some of the things of the previous year's car, which actually wasn't a bad car. It was it wasn't great, but it it, was, it wasn't flawed in the way this one was. Um and they've basically it took them half a season to work it out, but it it, it just could not retain uh, the downforce through uh, a, a long corner, um, it, the, the, the the would it would give the car um, a very unstable uh, rear, and so the only way you could calm the car down and make it drivable, you, if you looked on board, it was very drivable, um, and you you'd be forgiven for thinking, well, what's the problem? Why is it so slow? And the, but that came as, as a, a function of a. a big, big rear wing that they had to put on a much bigger rear wing than they would have ever had to have simulated to to give it the rear stability because the rest of the car wasn't working aerodynamically. And, of course, that made it extremely aero inefficient. It was just dog slow down the straights to give it any sort of drivability at all. And that was probably good enough to be upper end of Q2, lower end of Q3 at the beginning of the season, but it barely got you out of Q1 at the end of the season.
2: Given all of what you've just said, I think that some of Fernando Alonso's performances were beyond extraordinary.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, he, he kept he kept them in play. Um, you know, the early early part of the season when it was uh, a mid grid car, he, he was just he could fifth and seventh places, just just automatically just racking up those points. And then, as, it, it, as the car fell down the order, you could still grab some places just out of thin air. Sometimes you could just, you know, magically conjure something. Um, just, just that relentless performance that we've seen all you know, through his career. He just, he, de- he never surrenders and um, always fights.
1: Um, where do you think uh, if I could just turn, turn the attention to um, I might come back to Alonso actually but um, t- Zach Brown uh, some, is, uh, under pressure do you think as, as, the, um, as the chief executive of, of, of McLaren um, uh, I should say that he's also chairman of, of one of motorsport magazine's rivals um, Autosport uh, magazine um, but do you think he's under pressure um, uh, internally Mark? <laughs>
3: And a big pressure at auto sport, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hope so. No, um, I think he's probably got a, a year or two of grace left. I think um, the, the 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 switch from Honda to Renault uh, proved to be uh, not not a great one. Uh, cost cost money for arguably performance neutral, um, and left them. Uh, as as a as a non-works team, uh, that 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 probably, in hindsight, that wasn't a great call, um, but it was unfortunate that 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 was happening at the same time as the the personnel problems in the technical department that I talked about earlier in terms of the aerodynamics. Um, I, I think it's reasonable that it's taken him this long to to get his. Um, to get a, you know, a grasp around it, and I think it's probably got a, a year or two of grace. Um, but yeah, ultimately, everyone's under pressure to to perform, and, and you know, McLaren isn't isn't a team that that it's acceptable to to be at its current level.
1: Um, uh, just going back to Alonso briefly, um, uh, Rob, what what do you think about um, Formula One failing to hold on to him? I mean. Uh, we don't have we're not blessed with too many star drivers alonso was certainly one do you think they should or, or could have tried harder to to hang on to him
4: um <laughs> i think F- f1's got much larger problems on whether it just wants to hang on to one of its star drivers or not in in truth um the is- the issue with alonso is a very combative driver um and i always understood that was the reason that that red bull pretty much wouldn't want him um He's had his time at Ferrari, so I mean, where was he honestly going to go? Um, I mean, this this year, actually, as a as a long-time McLaren fan, personally, um, I actually got more and more angry with McLaren as, as the season went on, because the progress stopped because they had to make compromises, but for year after year, we've had a lot of bluster about things are going to get better, we're going to win with Honda. I mean, Ron Dennis's era was always about promising wins, and usually, admittedly and fairly, delivering them. Um, Zach... Obviously, changed focus now to say, look, we're on a recovery, and this is this is going to take time. Well, yeah, how much time is it going to take? And the first thing that you said was, well, we're going to m- switch to Renault because well, that's a safe option. Well, in this in this occasion, the safe option hasn't worked out well, and the unsafe option, if you like, in their minds, Honda is now going to be with Red Bull. And if Red Bull managed to pull it out, um, then that will be great. But. Uh, t- I don't know, really, is the answer what, what they could have done with Alonso because if you were Fernando Alonso, a truly world-class, brilliant driver, would you honestly want to be exiting Q3 or Q2 every weekend? It's just, it's just demoralising, isn't it? So, I mean, you can go to the World Endurance Championship and essentially win as one of only two cars that can win, um, which is the stark opposite. But it's it, rocking a hard place, in my view.
2: I have half a feeling that if MotoGP promoter Dorna was in charge of Formula One that moves would have been made to keep uh, you know the, the, you see the way that Rossi goes on for years and years and years and he's still quick um, but Dorna seems to have a way of keeping the big names in you know in the paddock somewhere. Um, I, do, I, just, I know Formula One doesn't operate in the same way but uh, I'd, I'd love to know in a parallel universe with Dorna in charge of F1 whether, whether Alonso would have
4: stayed. Depends. Well, I'm I'm not, I will probably be vilified for this, but two wheels, you'd need to strap two of them together for me to take too much of, <laughs> <laughs> too much notice. So I'm not in, in the loop with MotoGP, but presumably the competitive order there is a hell of a lot closer than it is in Grand Prix racing, where we've currently got, I don't know, four and a half cars that could potentially win a race um, out of a field of 20. And that field of 20 seems to always shrink um, as the years go by. So...
1: If we uh, well, we can just finish up the, on the McLaren topic with a question from uh, Chin Tharka Priyassad. Um, You're doing very well I hope well on the I, night. I, I hope I've pronounced that right. I, I'm, His real name's uh, Kevin Smith. They've <laughs> <laughs> just done this to test me. Um, uh, simple question. Um, what are your thoughts on McLaren's chances for next season? I mean, I think we've, we've touched on it, but, but Mark, w- w- what do you think? Uh, I mean, are we going to see a resurgent McLaren or is the, the best we can hope for that they uh, sort of stabilise and, and, and kind of hold position?
3: I, I think they will um, return to respectability. Uh, I think as a, a basic building foundation, if you like, for the future. Um, I think the more obvious um, flaws uh, uh, that there were uh, in, inherent in this car uh, and, and what caused them and what processes caused caused them to find themselves in this this. Cul-de-sac that they couldn't get out of it in, in terms of the car have been understood, and yeah, when you listen to the engineers, they explain it, it. It sort of makes sense. It's got a logic to it, and you quite believe that that's you know that, that's fixable. Um, but it's it still leaves them as a a, a non a non factory team and relying on an engine supplier that in five years of the hybrid formula is cons- consistently lagged a long way behind the best. So to to imagine that they might be up there contending for race wins, I, I think is unrealistic. But um, the, the, there's no reason why they shouldn't be mid mid grid up up mid grid and respectable and scoring points.
4: That raises another point, though, doesn't it? Of what exactly? Where is the level of acceptability when you're McLaren? You know, we're, we're not but talking higher, about
3: uh, higher than that. Because exactly. It, I mean, a, a lot. Yeah.
4: I mean, I I would say uh, McLaren outside of the top eight is not particularly respectable. Because I grew up with them winning world championships and yep. and winning races and being essentially where Mercedes is. Um, yeah. So but you you get that different benchmark, don't you, of respectability? So purely, that just amplifies the pressure.
3: Mm, yeah, yeah. It, it, but it, at least it would be going in the right direction. And yeah, but that wouldn't you couldn't just say, well, that's it, that's job done. It would would still have to be moving upwards and ultimately looking to, as things are structured at the moment, to link in with the manufacturer once more and and go forward from there.
1: Um, Mark, uh, I have a question here. I know this is a subject close to your heart, uh, and this is uh, a question from uh, someone called F1 Engineer. Um, Why are the tyres so bad? are Pirelli capable of providing a better tyre for F1 or are they limited by the technology of the construction of the tyres?
3: Yeah, it's... My understanding is that it's to do with the manufacturing process that Pirelli uh, employs for these tyres, which um, is... the it, It's very automated and it's uh, it has to be... Uh, a relatively cheap way to produce them because of the, the deal that, um, that they... The, the, the commercial side of the deal, they, they, you know, it costs a lot of money to do, uh, to be the tire supplier for Formula One. So, they have... Um, they're basically, they're, they're extruded. They, they're not sort of um, hand-built like a traditional racing tire. Uh, and they, the chemicals needed to make it runny enough to be extruded, the chemicals that are the the, the limiting factors in the tyre's behaviour. So there's this sort of widespread misunderstanding between uh, on the one hand a a tyre that can be raced hard which will still see a reduction in performance as it wears, like a traditional tyre that we used to have from Bridgestone and Michelin, as opposed to a a tyre that has to be kept at a, a certain temperature to stay in its performance window which imposes a slow pace but a, a long stint which is what we have now so you can go a softer on compound but y- which y- makes the tire faster at its peak but you still have to keep it in that um, temperature threshold so you have to drive it even slower so y- you get caught in this you get trapped in these one-stop uh, races in which the drivers aren't flat out um, so they they corrected this a couple of years ago but it's crept back in because as the the faster the cars have got, and particularly with when they went to the wider body cars last year, um, the easier this threshold is, is, is reached. so you' got it's a really intractable problem unless you know you can give us a completely different more traditional type of tire and that might require a very, very different uh, commercial model in order to allow them to afford to do that mm-hmm. you know, if indeed they can.
1: W- w- was anyone other than Pirelli seriously in the frame do you think for the um, f- f- for the? no Pirelli's contract? been
3: confirmed it's there until
1: 2023 well from, from the minutiae have Tires, maybe we could pull back and just talk pretty generally, I suppose, a, a, about Liberty and, and what we think about um, the relatively new owners. This was the season when I think a lot of people were hoping that some of the changes that Liberty had talked about were, were going to kind of come to fruition or, or, or at least be, be visible. I mean, my sense is that it, it, it's been slightly underwhelming. Um, uh, Simon, what do you think? Have, has there been a significant change? I mean, will they need to do better? I mean, wh- where are we with Liberty at the moment?
2: I, I, I applaud liberty's apparent will to change things. The problem I have is that 90% of the time when they issue a press release, I don't understand what they're telling me they're trying to change. Um, it's all <laughs> written in um, you know, sort of corporate gobbledygook. Um, and it's extremely... And it's, it, it's I'd like to think that I've got a reasonable grasp of the English language, but um, that doesn't look like the English language. So, I mean, I think... Um, Obviously they've got a lot of experience in with sport sports media, sports operations, but Formula One operates in a very, very different way to pretty much any other sporting model. And I think it you just know, they they need time to I I get the sense that because of the way that Bernie had set things up, um with you know, so many interlinked little wheels and deals here there and everywhere. Um, it's, a bit, it's a bit like trying to, you know, the problem the government presently has trying to work out how to do a Brexit. Um, it's a very, very complex, <laughs> it's a very incredibly complex structure. And I think they've probably been slightly surprised by the scale of that structure.
1: I was going to say Brexit, the mention of Brexit will date this podcast, but I suspect it will. <laughs> no, no, Even no, no, if I you'll it, listen it it w- to it in two w- years' time, it will be fair, relevant. So
4: will the 2018 <laughs> season review <laughs> title. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> fair point,
1: fair point.
2: But yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I think we'd all like to see some of the stuff that seemed so obvious in the Bernie era, like making having some kind of digital presence, which you just didn't. I mean, it there was, was non existent in Bernie's era. Formula One. It had a website, but it had very little digital presence. You've got all this fantastic action that you can do things with, and because the the TV the the, foot, the TV footage cost about a zillion pounds for ten seconds or whatever if you wanted to use it and anything outside the Formula One broadcasts, uh, whatever the rate was, you know it, it didn't appear anywhere. And there, there are all these things that could be done, and I hope in time will be done to bring it to a bigger audience but I mean we've had talk of a race in Miami hasn't happened there's a new one coming up in Hanoi not a country with in Vietnam's not a country with great motor racing heritage but it's an interesting it's an interesting project I'm looking forward to seeing quite where Liberty plans to take the sport but I don't think it needs 25 races a year
1: yeah yeah um uh, I mean, my feeling is, I suppose, and I'd be interested to hear what you think, Mark. Um, is, is that Liberty has has kind of got itself caught in a in a bit of a tricky position where it seems to have upset pretty much every from circuits to the major teams. Um, to the uh, commercial rights holders for TV, uh, it, it's kind of at one point or another throughout the season. It's it's managed to um, aggravate all of those uh, sort of stakeholders, if you like, and um, it, it can sometimes gives the impression of being slightly isolated.
3: Yeah, I think um, it's it's acquired the sport at a time of real structural change. In terms of television audiences and what, how many people actually will in future be interested in watching cars go around a track? Um, I think it's it, it is uh, looking to the past to, to try and get clues, but the, the the clues can't really come from the past. Um, I don't. It, it, it's less. It's a less rapacious owner than. Uh, CVC was, and it's more open-minded and it's better at marketing. Um, but I don't think it is fundamentally visionary in outlook. I think it is fundamentally just trying to steady the ship and keep the money coming in. And as as the model change is changing very very rapidly, um, the, so they're looking to see how they can move to a different area to 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 keep the the income coming in. Um, but I think the, uh, the, it should be accepted that long-term, commercially, the sport will be inevitably smaller than it is or smaller than it's been at its peak. And I think everything needs to be scaled down, and that's, that's the biggest challenge that Liberty has, how you scale down something that has been um, based upon old old uh, technology, old uh, boom-time economics, uh, the old model, um, which non, none of which no longer uh, applies, and um, sort of Bernie got out just as that was sort of evolving away from his ability to control.
1: It's fascinating uh, it's going to be interesting, isn't it, to see how it how it develops and, and as you say, how it evolves, but I mean i'm I'm pretty sure that Liberty didn't buy it as a diminishing sport. Um, as you say, but um, uh, but listen, we, we are sort of running up against our, our our deadline. I just wanted to mention a couple of other things. W- one thing that hasn't been mentioned, and maybe Rob, I could throw this one to you, um, and maybe the fact that it hasn't been mentioned says it all. But Halo, um, I mean, remember the beginning of the season, all the all the the column inches written about it, the words spoken about it, the passionate arguments for and against it. And to my mind, it hasn't been an issue other than in potentially saving um, Charles Leclerc's life. I think it was one of those things that when
4: the covers were pulled off of all the cars in January, everyone went, what the hell is that? It stands out appallingly. It might as well be covered in pink glitter. Then as soon as they went out to practice at Melbourne, it was Formula One and what halo? um the leclerc thing showed that it's good um I, I think almost indisputably i was i was a little bit skeptical as to whether it actually did its job but then you can go into micro minutia about okay would the wheel have hit the hit the natural roll hoop or would it have done this it's it's been shown that it did avoid a visor strike fairly recently that's got to be a good thing um i've got to say it worried me um at abu dhabi seeing hulkenberg upside down saying amusingly he was hanging there like a pig um (laughs) and then reporting fire and you think well thankfully marshals were there and it was great but we've yet to actually see any kind of real inversion fortunately i will say but i mean what happens if a car goes goes over into gravel somewhere like catalonia at the back of the circuit uh, how does the driver get out so i don't think it's a final design um in terms of aesthetics actually i think formula e has done quite a good job of making a car with the halo being particularly less noticeable in design but then presumably they've seen what formula one's done and had a blank sheet of paper to design a car anyway so they've had the the choice it's not just been plonked on top of a grand prix car Um, i think it's it's always going to look better there will be the purists out there that say it's not needed but it has been anything that helps safety is a is a great thing um even if it looks a bit naff <laughs>
1: um uh and finally to uh to to sort of round off this um this this season review uh we've got a question here from and I'm going to try and get this name right um uh, al Kwastani um or Wistani um uh I offer this somewhat light-hearted question to the experts um uh f- but maybe you could answer um, uh, from Lewis, Sebastian, Alonso, Kimi, Max and Ricciardo. Which is the one quality you would take from each of these drivers? You missed out, uh, that's
2: your <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I'm not going to ask you all individually, but maybe together we could pull our heads and, and uh, pull our thoughts and, and just come up with a, with a list of things that, that, that we really like about each of those drivers, what their strengths are, what their defining strength. Ricciardo's I, racecraft. I would like Kimmy's liver.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I think we can all aspire
4: to that. <laughs> I'm not sure you'd want his liver after uh, after the awards. Um, I, th- yeah. I think Hamil- Hamilton's relentless dedication is is his biggest mm-hmm. quality. His mm-hmm. his intense focus. Fantastic.
1: Um, Mark, listen, uh, final word from you as our Grand Prix editor. Um, How how do you rate the 2018 uh, season? Obviously, you've covered more than most people have had hot dinners. Um, But uh, (laughs) how do you rate it?
3: Um, Pretty good, but uh, room for improvement. And, um, yeah, if if we could see Ferrari achieving its full potential next year and Honda delivering for Red Bull then yeah, then we might have a vintage season.
1: Fantastic. Um,
4: Rob, Mark, just out of interest, who's your money on for next year?
3: Yeah, I, I say Vettel every time and I always get it wrong. So. See, I, I said that and you've now doomed me. <laughs> <laughs> on that. I say Vettel, but just, you know, in in, in, in hope of, of change. Um, but uh, not, not because I've got anything against Mercedes or Hamilton, just because we need a shake-up of the... You know, the order...
1: Uh, And on on that note, I think we'll have to uh, call uh, call an end to uh, this uh, 2018 season review. Uh, Thank you very much, Mark. Thank you, Simon. Uh, Thank you, Rob. Uh, And thank you all for listening. Um, There are more podcasts on the Motorsport Magazine uh, website, which you can uh, download. Uh, And we wish you a very happy Christmas and a very uh, merry new year. And we'll see you back in the paddock in 2019. But for now, from all of us, goodbye.